Okay, folks, hold your children's ears. You're going to hear some salty language. These two friends meet at the end of the week to compare notes, and one comes to the bench and says, T-G-I-F, thank God it's Friday. The other one says, S-H-I-T. What do you mean, S-H-I-T? So happens it's Thursday. Wow, that's not a word you'd expect to hear from a 100-year-old grandmother. Zelda was a good friend of our guest today, Melinda Blau. While most folks I know collect things like salt shakers, shot glasses, old coins, or stamps, Melinda collects old ladies. So stay with us for some more sage and entertaining words from Melinda's age-defying posse. This is Crow's Feet, a place where we ponder the question, are these our golden years, or does aging just suck? Well, yes, getting older is not for the faint-hearted, but aging also brings wisdom and humor, a finely tuned perspective on life. In our podcast, you'll meet writers and others rethinking our later years, people who inspire us to reimagine our future. My name is Warren Turner, and my guest today is editor, award-winning writer, and frequent contributor to Crow's Feet, Melinda Blau. Melinda will share her unique perspectives on friendship with older women. And as a real treat, we're going to hear some of their voices as well. Melinda is a journalist who has, over the last five decades, churned out 15 books, including a New York Times bestseller and hundreds of articles in print and online. Welcome, Melinda. I'm really happy to be here. I am speaking to you from Paris, where I now live with my partner and my dog. Um, I also have two adult children in the U.S. and three grandsons all in their teenage years. I write every day. And lately I've been writing more, not surprisingly, about aging. Um, And in particular, my favorite stories are those about the much older friends I have that I now call my old ladies. I know you're working on a book about your old ladies. How did this project come about? Well, it started in 1986, quite by accident. Um, I actually started writing about it. I wrote about it on Crow's Feet. And this is what I wrote. I picked up my first old lady, Henrietta, in a fiction writing class at the new school. I didn't set out to collect much older acquaintances. Quite the contrary. I harbored unkind, ageist thoughts when I first walked into that classroom. Oh, no, a room full of old people. (laughs) Yes, of course. Um, How did you get past such negative feelings? Not all at once, that's for sure. It was a very slow process. But what happened in the classroom really was that I started seeing the, the my fellow classmates who, quote, I thought were old. And by the way, they were all most of them were younger than I am now. So let's just put that into perspective. So I saw instead of seeing them as a room full of old people, I started seeing them as individuals. I started hearing their stories. And of course, they were extremely interesting. There was one woman in particular, Henrietta, and she absolutely fascinated me. She was a great writer, but she also wore these very, very thick Coke bottle glasses. And when she read her stories aloud, the paper practically touched her nose. She was just, she was legally blind as it turned out. And she walked with a cane. 
And this was a woman who bopped all over the city taking classes at different universities. And how old was uh, Henrietta? She was 75. Oh. And I was 43, which is why I thought she was old. Yeah, well, at 75, she was old enough to be your mother. Well, actually, she was exactly my mother's age, but my mother had passed by then. Although I didn't see her as a mother figure. I just saw her as a fascinating person. We had writing in common. And we got to know each other just the way any two friends would get to know each other by slowly, you know, having coffee, meeting after class. And we became friends, despite what was like a 35-year age difference. Did you keep in touch then after the semester ended? Yes, we did. Uh, A little bit in New York, but we really got close when I moved out of the city. And because we were both writers, we became pen pals. What were your letters like? Well, it was interesting because she would send me her stories about life on the Lower East Side. They were all fictional. I wrote nonfictions and I would send her articles that I'd written for the major magazines that I was then writing for. And most of mine were advice pieces, um, how to have a good marriage, how to deal with your children. And at one point, these articles actually really highlighted our generational differences because she wrote to me and she said, you know, in my day, the only person that saw a psychiatrist was the young woman who ran down the street naked one night. <laughs> That's a good one. That was the difference between the boomers and the the generation that Henrietta was from, which was the GI generation. A whole different world. So in your stories, this is a line I saw. As years went by, I purposely sought much older women. Can you explain that? Well, I I wasn't conscious of it when I first met Henrietta, but by the early 2000s, I met Zelda on the tennis court. By getting friendly with her, she was 91 when I met her. And I was in my 60s and I started realizing there's a real benefit to a much older woman's perspective. Tell us more about Zelda. She was amazing. She was a little tiny minute of a woman. Um, When I met her on the tennis court, she said to me, I picked you up because you looked interesting. And she said, at my age, you have to replenish. She, She loved to make people laugh. Um, as I said, she was really great in good physical shape. She walked three, uh, this was well into her hundreds. She walked three miles every morning. She played tennis with the guys and she was on the tennis court till she was 99. And I remember at one point I said to her, God, Zelda, it's just amazing that you're still playing tennis. And she said, well, honey, you can't really call what I do playing tennis, but I get the ball back. <laughs> so, I mean, she loved she loved to make you laugh. And she always had a story, an inspirational saying, even an off colored story that she would insert in a conversation just at the right time. And it, it, it was hysterical. She I remember when my grandsons came to visit me in Florida and I was a little nervous about them meeting a woman in, in her hundreds. And I shouldn't have worried because she had them in stitches. And um, I have on tape, which I'm so happy about this, one of my grandson's favorite dirty jokes from Zelda. Fella goes into an ice cream store and he asks for chocolate ice cream. And the young fella says, so sorry, 
They have no chocolate. They have vanilla. And they have strawberry. And the customer insists, he says, I want chocolate. He says, we have vanilla. I want chocolate. We have strawberry. I want chocolate. He says, how can I convince you? Spell van like in vanilla. So the kid says, V-A-N. But I want chocolate. Guy says, we have strawberry. Spell straw. The fellow says, S-T-R-A-W. But I want chocolate. And the guy is desperate. He says, spell fuck like in chocolate. And the fellow says, there's no fucking chocolate. He says, that's what I've been trying to tell you. We have no fucking chocolate. (laughs) Really good that you have that on tape. Zelda sounds like a real pro. She was. She was. I sometimes describe her as a Borscht Belt wannabe, but she was wonderful. She took her, she literally took her act on the road. She'd go to local hospitals and senior centers and she'd entertain. And I remember one day I asked her, I said, how do you keep all that material in your head? And she said to me that she'd always had a good memory, but here was her wisdom. She said to me, but you can't take that for granted. So she said every day on her walks, these three mile walks that she took, she'd rehearse her routines and she would, you know, repeat her stories and her jokes. So they were always right there at the surface. Have you got another uh, clip of her that we can hear? Actually, I do, Warren. I have three. This is where I asked her once to recite some of her favorite one-liners about aging. Don't count your years. Make your years count. Smiling old matter. If you don't mind, it doesn't matter. It's not how old you are. It's how you are old. This is Warren Turner for Crow's Feet, Life as We Age. Our guest today is Melinda Blau, talking about her wonderful old ladies. Melinda Zelda is something else. Uh, she's a hard act to follow. And yet, you have continued to find older women like her. I can't say they're like Zelda because there was nobody like Zelda. But each one was very different. But what they all had in common was that I admired each one's take on life either their courage or their creativity or just their this sense of humor very often. Um, and by, by my, I would say by the time I turned 70 myself, I had an old lady in every port, Miami, New York, at least one uh, in Paris. And, um, and what's happened too in the last couple of years, as I've been writing more about my old ladies, I get, Uh, emails from people. So for example, one I got was from a woman who said, you've got to meet my mother. Did you ever follow up on that? Oh, absolutely. And her mother is now going to be 98 when this airs. And trust me, she's a keeper. So far, we've talked mainly by Zoom or by telephone. And I have one conversation where both of us were amazed at how Thanks to technology, we can now keep in touch across great distances. Her name is Elise, and here's that conversation. You know, if you think about it, 
certainly when you were growing up, but even when I was growing up, the idea of speaking to somebody like this or having a, a phone in your hand that also could take a picture of them. Yes, it's, you know? it's a miracle. It's, it is a miracle. I mean, to think that you're sitting in Paris and I'm sitting across the ocean, it's, uh, yeah. Okay. Melinda, can you explain what you had in mind when you first started thinking about your much older friends as old ladies or my old ladies? From one of the pieces you wrote for Crow's Feet, I gather women your age complained when you called them old. No one <laughs> wants to be old in an ageist culture. That's for sure. I mean, by definition, they were old and they were ladies. So they were and they were mine. So they were my old ladies. But I didn't say it out loud at first. And anytime I did, I would get all this pushback from my friends saying, you can't call them that. But I wanted to give old a different meaning, a more positive meaning. I mean, it's just an adjective. But in, a, in an, as you say, in an ageist culture, it doesn't have a very good meaning. And I wanted to stop being afraid of it myself. So I figured the more I would call them my old ladies, you know, maybe it would help me. And also, I thought of it the way a guy would say, my old lady, you know, my old lady at home, the little woman that takes care of me and is good to me. And kind of that's how I thought of my old ladies, except they lived in my head. So how did they take care of you? It's interesting. As you can imagine, some of them have passed by now, but they are all very much alive in my head. And, I, and I'm not even saying that the way we say it euphemistically, oh, you'll keep the person in your heart, in your head. I mean, they are literally in my head so that in a given situation, I could pretty much hear what each one of them would say about it. So do they give you any kind of advice? No, Warren, it's, it's actually not advice. More, it's that they provide great role models. Do you think they're any wiser than the rest of us? No, I don't actually think they're wiser. Um, but I think they have a special perspective that you can't get until you are in your 90s or 100s. You know what's important. Um, when I think of my old ladies, the one who comes to mind is Marge, who died recently at 104. And Marge had everything going for her. She was very friendly, very sociable. She was interested in people and she was interesting. And that drew, drew a lot of people to her. She also had a great sense of humor. So one time when I when I first met her and she was at the buffet table, she was spooning food onto her paper plate that she had perched on her rollator, which helped her. She was 99 at this point. And as she was putting the, the food on the plate and she rolled away, I said to her, you better be careful that you don't forget and sit down. And she turned around just instantly and looked at me and she said, well, thanks. That's a really good reminder. Then again, I like to make an impression. That's good. Somewhere I somewhere I saw where you called her uh, the oldest living investor in New York. Had you become the oldest living by little male investor by by briefly, by by continuing completely rebranding, right? I love that clip of March. Let's also play the one where she talks about her bank making a mistake. For the first time ever in my whole life, the bank made a mistake, Frank, and it was in my favor, and I called above, but the girl was hysterical when I told her that they had made a mistake, and 
I had made out a check, and there's a picture of the check for $241.60, and they only charged me $24.60. How could that happen with computers? I said it was a vacation time. They have a substitute, so they'll adjust. Did she, did she know how old you were when you were told? <laughs> I told everybody. Boy, Marge has such a wonderful sense of humor. But she also could laugh at herself. And uh, we're going to play one more clip of hers because um, oh, she had said the bank doesn't make mistakes. And I said to her, I thought you were going to say you never make the mistakes. And this was this was her answer. It was priceless. Then I made a mistake. Oh, God, I made a hundred of that. I don't ever try to be perfect. I just am because I am. <laughs> okay, you wrote an article confessing that you are an old lady. And it's uh, even more amazing, I suppose, to writers that you're happy about it. How can that be? I was not quite 60 when my oldest grandson was born. And I said, no one's calling me grandma. That was uh, almost 20 years ago. But I still have my moments. I went to a friend's 35th birthday party. And um, I panicked thinking I'm the only grandma in the group because I see all these young people. But that birthday party was an important milestone to me. And let me read what I I, uh, wrote on Crow's Feet. Fred's told me so much about you, several said. You're that, Melinda? That's me, living history, the hip old lady who danced at Studio 54 in her youth. Can you find that picture of you, Frederick asks at one point. I know the one he means. A few minutes later, my phone is being passed around the table. I watch his guests look at the 30-something in the photo and then look up at me now. Thanks for the good PR, I later say to Frederick, who sits across from me at the long table. Of course, he says, you're incredible. You give me hope about aging. With press like that, who wouldn't want to be someone else's old lady? Shorthand for someone who's aging well. I like the idea that being a proud old lady both feels good and is good for you. But why is having an old lady of your own also important? And I presume that you also have older male friends as well. When I suggest that people get, it's really an old person, someone who's ahead of them in the past, and uh, on the path of life, and who's doing an admirable job of, of aging. A good role model, really. It's also a window to the future. You know, these relationships don't guarantee that your life is going to go smoothly and that bad things won't happen to you. But at least from these friendships, you get a sense of the possibilities and the, and the limitations that age can bring. Yeah, but not all old people age uh, the same way. They're all different, and they age in their own fashion. That's true. And all of my old ladies are very, very different from one another. Each one is doing life in her own way, and she has a very unique perspective. And it's from that perspective that sometimes just in having everyday conversations, I learn something or I think about something that I had not really thought about before. For example... My friend Betty in New York is 91. We were doing a a phone conversation one day, which I recorded, and she made me aware of a very important truth about expectations and your grown children. 
So let's play that clip. You know, all my old ladies, when they talk about their children, it's always with some degree of disappointment. Disappointment? Yeah. Like, uh, I'll give you an example. I'm not disappointed in my kids. I'll give you an example of what I mean. Maybe disappointment's the wrong You know what? It depends on what you expect. Well, that's true, too. If you expect too much, you're going to be disappointed. You're right about expectation because... What, why do we have an expectation just because two people were born of the same mother, raised in the same household? They're still really different people. They, they're not going to be alike. My two boys are as different personality-wise as night and day. Right. When they're together, they, they enjoy one another. Right. What more than that can you ask for? Let me also play a snippet of a conversation with 90-year-old Joan. I was 90 last June. A youngster. In my family, yes. (laughs) Well, that's good. You have the gift of good genes. Yes, good genes. But it's also up here, don't you think? Absolutely. It's all an attitude. I've come to that conclusion because I hear people fetching and complaining and this. And I have the same things, but I don't get involved with them because I have other things keeping me busy. You know, Warren, it's not that Betty or Joan is any kind of guru. It's just that she's lived. And it's not that I'm sitting at her feet trying to devour her wisdom. We're just two friends of vastly different ages talking to each other and learning from each other. It's not like I have these conversations saying, what am I going to learn today? But invariably, I walk away with some tidbit or truism. And I've started thinking of them actually as my old lady light bulbs. And so they kind of illuminate my path as I move along life myself. Well, Melinda, uh, what a fun and informative conversation this has been. I think it's only fitting to end this episode of one of Zelda's best love performances, The Golden Years. We hear Melinda's friends tittering in the background. Laughter can be our best medicine, and don't forget that. So here comes the golden years. The golden years are here at last. I cannot see. I cannot pee. I cannot chew. I cannot screw. (laughs) My memory shrinks, my hearing stinks, no sense of smell, I look like hell, my body's drooping, got trouble pooping. (laughs) The golden years are here at last, the golden years can kiss my ass. Today's episode was produced by me, Warren Turner, a Crow's Feet writer. My guest has been award-winning author Melinda Blau. Our executive producer is Nancy Peckenham, editing and sound engineering by Rich Halton. Additional support was provided by a team of Crow's Feet writers, including Jan Flynn, Nancy Franklin, Elizabeth Allen, Lee Bench, Jean Feldison, and Kathy Gilbert. 
Thanks for joining us on this episode of Crow's Feet, Life as We Age. Don't miss any of our great stories. Subscribe to Crow's Feet wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to tell your friends and family to give a listen to and leave a rating or review. You can read more Crow's Feet stories online at medium.com forward slash crows hyphen feet. And check back next time for a new episode. So until next time, remember to savor every moment. As Claude Pepper said, life is like riding a bicycle. You don't fall off unless you stop pedaling. How about making friends with your crow's feet?